The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. The Persistent and Nasty podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in NASTY, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. We Edition really are the future of casting. And also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents. You can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to do, especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community. Our other offer for our listeners is still with Backstage. Backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription. You heard that right, 12 months free. If you follow the link in the description box for casting directors, you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout. Hello, you gorgeous lot, and welcome to another episode of Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Hope you are all doing well. Um, today's episode is with the amazing Kay Singh. Kay is a performer, playwright, academic, and now the author of an amazing new cookbook, which is released today. So it's perfect timing that this episode is coming out. Get ready to laugh with Kay. She is um, one of the funniest people we have spoken to and um, just an utter joy few things we just wanted to say thank you to everybody who has already supported us via our paypal link which is in the um, description of the episode and also a little reminder to those of you that our coffee mornings are six months old today and we are having a celebration this evening at 7pm if you fancy coming along for a little cocktail coffee wine beer water whatever your tipple is please email us at persistentandnasty at gmail.com for the zoom link as always you can follow us on all social media at persistentnasty on twitter at persistentandnasty on instagram and persistentandnasty on facebook as always guys sit back relax and enjoy another great episode. A butter yeah. chicken three times a week. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. Like, there's going to be no oh. consequences to that. So I would, oh, I would fucking happily eat butter chicken every night of the week. Bloody I will give, I'll give you the recipe for it. It's actually surprisingly Please. easy. Surprisingly easy. You're just so talking about recipes, Kay, when yes. is the book out? I, I actually, we didn't even mean it. <laughs> beautiful. It's beautifully done. Um, yeah, so I, I now have an official launch date now. It's the 25th of September, which is actually two weeks today. Which really is soon, really yeah. Exciting. Yeah, it's yeah. So exciting. Um, so it's, it's interesting how it's come about because um, I was just saying to Louise, uh, we met up in February, was it? Mm, like before yeah. the world ended. And I mean, what I'm about to describe might as well have been 60 years ago, but we <laughs> met up for a friend's reading. So there was like multiple people from multiple households, mm. all in the same room, breathing the same air. Um, and uh, and then we all went for a pint afterwards. And what? I know, which again, what is that? What's that? It was like um, eight of us all squashed around a little booth in Jackson. Oh God, so it was. <laughs> like sitting on stools, all touching each other. Yeah. And, oh, God. I really miss touching other people. <laughs> it sounds really dodgy, but it's with love. Yeah, <laughs> no, I get it because I think a large part of living in Glasgow as well is that, like, you go, you can go out by yourself and you'll have mates by the end of the night. Like, it's such a sociable city, especially because I, I come, I came from Edinburgh, which was mm. a massive culture shock. Because um, <laughs> like, I remember just like standing at the bus stop and people would talk to me. I'd be like, "What's happening? What's happening?" <laughs> Like I don't, I don't understand this. Um, so yeah, we were we were all in in the pub, and we had this like really interesting conversation about working in the arts back when we all worked in the arts uh, <laughs> before the world ended. And, um, it was about how do you balance this this thing in in, in theatre because it's so 
sociable. It's so social. It involves people. Like it's performing in front of audiences. You're always working with teams. You're always, you know, even if you're a performance artist, solo person, there's still this acknowledgement of, of other people. And then you've got to balance that with the huge amounts of downtime by yourself, redrafting, doing funding applications, um, and all, you know, doing self-tapes, everything. So it's this weird mix of being very solitary and being very involved with people. And it's about how do you kind of balance that? And uh, so we, we decided to start a potluck event, which again, I might as well be talking about a different planet. Lots of, yeah. well, lots of different people meet up in the same room and they all bring different dishes of food and share food and dishes and plates. And it's the dream right there. That's <laughs> yeah, what we are aspiring to. Please, 2021. <laughs> so hopefully oh. that, that will happen. But there was, a, yeah, so that kind of thought about food and about connecting people was definitely milling around and food's been this massive part of my own identity. My dad's side of the family are Scottish Punjabi and my mom, she teaches English as a foreign language now, but uh, back in the day, she was a home economist, like a food scientist. Um, so I was always raised with this, like a lot of different cultural influences. I grew up in Europe as well. I moved here when I was 12. Uh, so there's always been this exposure, to, which I feel really privileged I've had to different cultures, particularly through food. So it's always been this thing in, in the background of my life and then it's almost like it's become full circle because when the pandemic really hit the UK and the lockdown really hit the UK we did have an event planned to have a potluck which didn't happen we sure did <laughs> and uh, I, I went shopping to like pick up some bits and pieces and it was in that like mental which again it feels like it was years ago but it was six months ago Mad. and it was at that period where there was like nothing on the shelves and I remember like having this moment of like looking at all of the bags of salad that had gone and all of the bread had gone. Spices were still left over, of course. Um, and then there was like bags of frozen vegetables that had been left. And I thought, I mean, what are you going to do with 15 bags of salad and 10 loaves of bread? Like, what are you like, seriously, what are you going to eat? And, and I just thought it was just people just grabbing stuff and not really thinking about it. And then the media, I thought, was kind of making that worse because they kept yeah. showing these empty shelves, which made people think, oh, my God, it's, it just became this like self-fulfilling prophecy, I thought. And then I started to see articles that were talking about, oh, here's things you can freeze and here's things you can't freeze. And I was like, OK, getting there, getting there with the whole food literacy thing, but not not quite there. And um, I posted one of these articles just on my own Facebook page and I was just like, um, so, uh, you know, if, why, why not have some recipes? Like that could be useful. Like one of the things I used to do as a student, I would cook mints with uh, tomatoes and onions, and then I would freeze portions of that and then defrost it. And then I would make that into bolognese or chili con carne, or because you can just change the spices about. You know, food's not that imaginative. There's like some core principles that you need to learn and then that's, that's it. And um, I thought, you know, why aren't newspapers doing it? why aren't they giving people like easy recipes why aren't they talking about this and then a friend of mine was like oh you should start a little facebook group and like share freezable recipes and I'm like, oh, that's a lovely idea you know okay that's that's a way i can connect with people and that's a way that i can sort of share what i know about food and my passion and you know thinking about ways of as i said connecting with people and um that was on like the 20th of march and i remember thinking when i set it up i was like well, I think I like 20, 30 people, be really nice. And we're now at 840. Wow. <laughs> In six months, <laughs> it's gone from like, me just going, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll teach people how to make a bolognese. I can do that. Uh, and now it's 840 people. It's all over the world. Uh, we have members in, which is a strange thing, because this, this pandemic is affecting everybody. And, you know, yeah. everyone loves Indian food, of course. So, uh, yeah, we've got members in the, in the UK, in the US, Australia, Latvia, uh, France, Singapore, Pakistan, uh, Fiji. Wow. Um, yeah, like it's really, really worldwide. And about halfway through, um, people sort of suggested to me, oh, it'd be really nice to, to kind of get this all together and, and get a book. And I thought, okay, well, most of the content's up there already. Uh, so 
you know, and I need a lockdown project because like a lot of people, most things in my life are on pause. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll write a book. That's a totally feasible thing to do in six months. And I've done it. Um, and so that, that comes out uh, two weeks today. There's 65 recipes in it. It's mostly Indian. It's actually called the Mostly Indian Batch Cookbook. So it does exactly <laughs> what it says on the tin. And um, there's like really detailed introductions onto how to prepare your kitchen for cooking in bulk and how to uh, prepare like Indian spice mixes and the different types of Indian spice mixes and different styles of Indian cooking. So I really try to cater to people of all kind of culinary skills and also give people kind of background to dishes that they might not necessarily know as well. And I've tried to have a mix of like restaurant favorites so one of the fun ones for me has been actually the vindaloo, which is just, I think it's such a maligned curry. I feel really bad for it. It's like- It totally is. <laughs> it's just got this like, I think because of the football anthem and everything, but it's got this like <laughs> reputation as being this like English 16 pints, get a vindaloo. Yeah. I don't know, throw yeah, a chair, like... throw a chair at a Belgian policeman. You know, it's like got this <laughs> like, total- it's the, uh, it's the lads, 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 Connie, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and I thought, and they used to do a thing in Goodness Gracious Me as well. It was yeah. like the British version of the Vindaloo. The blandest thing on the menu. Yeah. <laughs> to order the blandest thing on the menu. I want 16 portions of chips and bread and butter. That's the <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> I love Goodness Gracious Me. It, it, so kind of sad, it kind of saddens me that there's not been anything like as good as that in terms of like mm -hmm. representing like British Asian identity um I did have my own goodness gracious me moment because um my husband actually I was I was making kheer which I believe is known as rice pudding here and I was just like making that in the kitchen he's like oh I'm really surprised you're making a British dessert I just looked at him I was like Indian it's Indian like and I felt like the guy from goodness gracious me that, that does that right I was like rice Indian vanilla Indian like and I was <laughs> just having this whole moment in my kitchen um so I was yeah I was researching the vindaloo and it's uh, it's actually a Portuguese dish the Portuguese oh. were in India before the British and after I think the official end of the Portuguese colony was like 1987 or something like that oh, wow. yeah. oh yeah colonialism is like not long ago at all um yeah. My, my mother was born in Fiji. Um, her family had sugar plantations and stuff like that. So it's like, it's not um, both the colonizer and the colonized, uh, which I think <laughs> the fundamental Scottish experience as well. Um, You're covering yeah, all the bases. Right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But it's actually this like really delicately flavored Portuguese dish that's cooked with a lot of uh, garlic and vinegar. So it's actually this kind of really light, tangy, flavorful curry rather than this like just crazy, crazy spicy. So that's been fun to uncover dishes. And it's the book itself has become an almost like, I mean, yeah, it's like a history of all of the different cultural influences that have been in India. There's like, you know, Portuguese fusion food. There's like British fusion food. Um, there's some kind of Afghani dishes because those have sort of gone through. There's a lot of mogul cuisine as well, which is what we're most familiar with I would say in the UK because I think it's 50% of the South Asian population in the UK are Punjabi which is quite interesting as well mm -hmm. so yeah it's been a, a a good use of my time and research skills <laughs> and a good excuse to just cook a lot. and um I think you left out a really key piece oh, of information I? which was the absolutely brilliant name that you gave to the Facebook group that kicked this all off um yes. So it was called Keep Calm and Curry On, <laughs> which uh, I think epitomized a lot of what was happening at it's, the moment. Oh, I just loved uh, it. I've since um, actually kind of registered to, to be a, a self-publishing company. So it's now changed to the brand name, which is Currying Flavor, because you could just not have enough curry puns at all in life <laughs> never just, too many puns and curry puns too. are the top of the pun pile yeah, yeah. yeah. uh so yeah, that, that's... i've done the puns i love it <laughs> i know here i am i'm in for the puns <laughs> yeah so that that's pretty much what i've been doing for the last like five six months i've been running I mean, really, this, you've this not been doing anything then really no just for a book you know 
I did some oh. embroidery. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> but were you embroidering like little like curry okay. pictures? No, and I've missed a trick there. I really, really have. I mean, I really, I'm yeah. sorry to show you the flaw in your. Uh... <laughs> no, I was actually doing a paisley pattern because I was trying to like combine like living in Glasgow and having my kind of Indian identity as well. But, yeah, so how's lockdown been for you? <laughs> mad, absolutely mad. I I was working full time through lockdown. Really? And, and oh. So Lou's in the middle of cooking and has jumped off to finish cooking. I know. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to think I just reminded her. She was like, oh my God. She was like, all oh, right, wait, what we're talking about right now? Oh yeah. Same okay. to me before you joined, uh, Kay, she was like, um, Eileen, I might have to jump off because I've got something in the oven. And I was like, all right, babes, calm mm. down. Uh, but it's actually the oven, okay then. Uh, sorry, okay, was enough. I'm joking. She'll be raging that we've said this, no. and I'm totally keeping it in. She won't find out. It's fine. Fine. She'll find out when she listens. To it. It's totally fine. If she listens, mm. do we listen to our own podcasts? I do because I have to edit it, so I hear all of our voices even when I'm uh, asleep uh, all the time. So, had you had any intention to write a cookbook before lockdown and forgive me if this question has already been asked because no, I stumbled in it, it hasn't but I've, I've just been sort of waxing lyrical anyway um no <laughs> I wax wax <laughs> I guess it's the nature of these things so um no I, I did not go in with the explicit intention of doing so I, I think the bit you missed I I started it as a as a way to share recipes with like a couple of friends um, so I was thinking like, oh, like 20 people would be like a good number. And it's now 840 as worldwide. So, and it was about halfway through people suggesting you should like write this, write this book and collect these recipes and, and put them together. And I think it's such a, a strange time for people um, that in a way it's a kind of memento to this time that has passed. I think that's what people were sort of interested in as well as the, the recipes themselves. I like that idea, that memento, because there is something about it. I kind of catch myself quite a lot, and I'm like, we're actually living in a pandemic. Mm. Like, mm. kind of forget because we're just we're now just getting on because we have to, and that's the way it is. But you know, it's like I said to my husband a couple of weeks ago. I was like, kids in schools are going to learn about us. Yeah, I mean, sitting on our couches. <laughs> Curry, no, there's but... there's been different eras. There was the Joe Wicks era. There was the banana that bread, the banana bread era, the sourdough yeah. era. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is this is early 2020 history. Um, yeah. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure what we're in now, to be honest. Nobody's got oh, what's going on. There was there was a couch to 5k phase. As there well. was a couch to 5k and donate so, 5k to the NHS. There was let's applaud a hundred year old man who's having to. Um, yeah the laps of his garden for our government funded a healthcare system. Yeah. Just Tiger King in there. <laughs> Don't uh, forget the Tiger King era. Oh, oh God, Tiger King. That I totally was... forgot that existed. <laughs> that was that was actually yeah. There's been there's definitely been phases to this. There was the start of podcast phase as well. Yeah. But yeah. we were in there before anyone else. We were so before there. <laughs> Remember, yeah, it was like it was like June, like all of the microphones had sold out on Amazon. I was just like, oh man. Like, was... oh, but we are in for a treat, is what you thought. You thought, oh, I can't wait for all this content. <laughs> but you know, it's funny how that some of the errors are broken up by baking and cooking. And because uh, yep. reconnecting with cooking has obviously been a huge part of oh, gardening. Moment. I... Oh, and gardening, yeah. Yes. Gardening. My brain well, did the exact same thing at the exact same time. I think <laughs> if, you, if you've got a garden, that's the only class that matters in this society now, is who has a garden. Who has a garden, <laughs> yeah. That's like, yeah. we've gotten rid of every other facet of, of intersectionality. It's just garden or not. Yeah. So, like, that's why apparently the housing market in Glasgow has gone mental, because it's all these people in, in beautiful tenement flats um, moving because they want a garden. Yeah. Yeah, and oh uh, remote working as well. So we're yeah. all over the UK. Can now I mean, to be fair, them. we've built a wall in our um, one-bedroom tenement flat, but we did it like two weeks ago when Steve went back to work. So, you know, we had uh, six months of me living in the bedroom while he was working 
because he has an actual job. <laughs> I was going to say, it's really strange to see you out of your bedroom. I, I like your blue background usually. You've usually got this lovely, like, dark background, whereas now I'm like, got sunlight? What? I don't... I've got my credible, my credible bookcase. That's, oh, that's I love it. This is my that's like best. not a bookshelf um, wallpaper. It's real. <laughs> I just uh, you won't see me touching it during this. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just in case. <laughs> I know it's it's been a really weird year. Um, I, it's, I another thing is like it's my my first wedding anniversary at the end of this month, and I feel really lucky to like been able to get married. Like it was because I, I know lots of friends that have had to postpone and, and change yeah. things and everything. But it sort of occurred to me, I was like, okay, so six months in lockdown, wedding. I've spent half my marriage in lockdown so far, which is a really, it's a strange place to be, to be honest. Yeah. Not the first year of marriage that you would have been expecting. No, I thought we were like going to go on holidays and have lots of like nice, you know, fancy dinners, which we have had, I suppose, because of me. But um, yeah, it's not exactly what I expected, to be honest. Yeah, you were like, I wasn't planning on cooking. <laughs> well, I'm not cooking on my anniversary. I've decided that Good. already. I'm just saying that I'm not. We're getting we're getting sushi. <laughs> nice. I'm like on well, my that's, that's what we I'm like on my fifteenth biryani or something right now. So I'm just like I just can't do it anymore. That's what we did on our tenth wedding anniversary, which was in lockdown. Um, oh. We had a sushi and um, sushi. Sushi was a side of sushi. I was wondering where that was like sushi and a breakdown. Like what? That's where I was going. I thought she was going to say like champagne or something. Yeah, well, champagne. Um, well, there so you go. Sushi and a divorce. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but you have considered it. We all have. We all have. Let's be listen, Kate. Every now and again, we just have to check in and make sure Steve's still alive. Like this is what we have to do. Like we're just like Elaine. How's it all going? Are you still? Is, is, is he still with us? Like. I heard a great one. It's um that bitch eating crackers syndrome, which is like when you get to a point where you're just like, oh my god, look at that bitch eating crackers over there. Just like whatever they do annoys me, and uh, and I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> that was probably about month three for me, and uh, he was he was just drinking his tea, and I was like, really? <laughs> look, look at him there, the way you drink tea and breathing, enjoying yourself. That's how you're going to yeah. drink your tea, really. <laughs> Really? Oh, do, he doesn't like he doesn't like lick the rim of its spill. No, he doesn't like the rim, but he doesn't. That's, I that think that's uh, the first time we've had lick the rim on the podcast. But oh, we'll keep it in. <laughs> oh no, that's getting kept in. And that's that one for a That's going to get taken right out of context. <laughs> Hope it does. Yeah, I think I've been I've been very keen for a long time to start out of context tweets about the podcast. So just take Amazing. something that, like was said. Just tweet it out of context. I think we might start today. Amazing. My <laughs> my Indian family are going to be so so chuffed. It's going to be brilliant. It's going to be great. <sighs> oh my god! Such a good idea to move to the west. It's all worked out brilliantly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Back to the like the living with people. I feel terrible now for laughing at the very beginning of all of this at the statistics that came out of China that was like there was so many couples that had filed for divorce and I was like haha they had to lock down together and now they're getting a divorce can you imagine that and now <laughs> like, it was about a month then and I was like that's not funny that's reality yeah. <laughs> and I'm smug that- I'm single <laughs> and I'm still looking for a divorce <laughs> like, <laughs> can I divorce myself can like, I just leave this, this behind yeah fuck I'm this bitch eating her crackers <laughs> I'm done so, like, with this. Because yeah, lots of people are like, oh, I bet there's going to be a baby boom. And I'm like, that's that's optimistic. That mm. is very, very optimistic. I guess what kind there of one is. of the... There is this... a baby boom. Is there? Yeah, nurses and midwives are overwhelmed. They're raging <laughs> about it. There's too many babies coming. Maybe it's not working it. Before, though, a baby yeah. boom is going to have to... They have to go... We're only six months in, unless they were going for gold in February. <laughs> No, they can speed no, things I, up now. It's oh, it's a pandemic. <laughs> I missed it. 2020, we, they can do that. We, it's a moonshot. Boom. Happy days. Oh, my word. Download speeds are better than they've ever been before. Yeah. 5G, babes. 5G. <laughs> I mean, a couple of friends have revealed recently to me that they are pregnant. Um, Maybe it's just working in the arts because everyone I know is just getting a dog, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Us artists. 
Just Just a sensible approach, if you ask me. Like, work your way up, work your way up. We're in the middle of a pandemic, calm down. I've been Um, working towards a dog for many a year. It's still not happened. Oh, God. Just get one. Just get one. I have thought about it. It can't do do anything once it's home. Oh, look what I found on the street. Oh, (laughs) alas, the perfect dog that I always wanted. A golden retriever puppy that does not cost £1,500. Ah! But it's a racket now, like. People are paying crazy money for dogs that fundamentally will be badly socialized with separation anxiety. But you know, <laughs> um, major separation anxiety for the dogs. The kids, the other humans won't give a flying fuck. The dog is like, you left me, why? Yeah. And now we're at the shops. Uh, so interesting times, I guess. Yeah. These are all the things that are coming out of it. There's so many like levels and layers and ripples. It's the ripple effect. It's it's kind of on a slightly more serious note because everyone's decided to laugh at Misha's metaphor there, which I actually thought was beautiful. Go, you go, you go. Thank you so much. I love metaphors, and I'm also dancing around. It's like it's like an onion. There's many layers. It's like an onion. You're so wrapped up in layers, onion boy. I'm just a shrek. I'm a shrek away at all times. (laughs) I think it's strange because it's it's the way the world has been heading for quite a while. Like we have become more reliant on online shopping and socializing Mm -hmm. online and working from home and all of these things have sort of been in the works. And then it's like the pandemic's just happened and all of it's become like forced, I think, upon all of Mm -hmm. us. Imagine being like doing this before Netflix. Do you know what I mean? We're quite lucky. Yes. Yeah. it doesn't bear thinking about quite frankly. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched this, I, I have a thing about archive footage and there's all of these like uh, YouTube channels that look at archive footage. And there was one that just blew my mind. It was like from the sixties and it was fun things to do for no money. And it was like, go to a pet store, play with a dog. You don't need to buy the dog. You can just play with the dog for free or watch it through the window. And then I swear to God, the next bit was like, men digging a hole is always interesting. And then it showed footage of guys digging a hole. And there was an actual crowd of people around just, just watching these guys dig a hole. And I was like, wow, that's that god of the internet. Like that was genuinely the highlight of the day. They've just been digging, oh, we better go watch. Go to works on the M8. No one would move. They'd be like, this is perfect. Shall we just wait and watch? watch? No oh, rush. Destination, don't worry. Look at that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for the internet, basically. Yeah. Oh God, the meme content that is coming out of this lockdown. Ooh, yeah. Memes, TikToks. I'm I'm getting well into my TikToks now. I'm not into TikTok. Really? I, I don't trust it. No, um, <laughs> I, I don't understand it. I think I'm just I'm above the age for that. So I like it. I'm just can't be bothered doing one. I, I had a wee flirt with TikTok. You were good. Lou, you've not been flirting. You've been full out seducing. Well, I've been making out with it. Yeah, you, you've been, <laughs> been grinding on it. <laughs> yeah, it's been a it's been a confusing time. Um, I <laughs> I don't know who I am anymore, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, I had to be flirt with it, and uh, but mostly I'm a lurker. I've I've made a few videos, but I I I just I look at it when I'm late at night doing I can't sleep and I just fall down a rabbit hole and there's uh, it's the weirdest uh, most mind-boggling app and platform I, I don't know I don't understand it but I'm it's oddly compelling so I, I'll waste an hour maybe two just scrolling. Do you know, I did read a similar sentiment to that and it was basically it's like there's something kind of comforting when the world feels quite insane that you can just watch people just like mm. cutting about in their kitchen it's sort of this reminder of people and normality I mm. guess I can kind of understand that to be honest yeah yeah I, I can the joy there's just so much joy in it like people being creative and like creating these scenes and all this content that like it's people that would never have been in the arts and they're mm. now TikTok stars and they're doing all these like hilarious skits and they're builders and plumbers and electricians and hairdressers and they're all these jobs that 
are not technically in the arts, but they are now part of the arts by default because they're making this hilarious content. And I think yeah, that's an amazing not, they thing. Can just, they can just be staying in the TikTok land when things get back to normal and not be crashing in on hours because there's well, no yeah, there's there is. Yeah, <laughs> there's something nice about that, but also a bit troubling because it is they are content creators certainly, but some of these people are just like they have 2.5 million followers for lip syncing. And I'm not like saying that that's not a skill because that's what I do when I fanny around with it. But that it's for my own amusement. I am not in any way like pretending I could parlay that into a career. But like some of them have, and the majority of them are very young and very beautiful and like pretty people, pretty children basically, like in their <laughs> early twenties, um, lip syncing to weird shit, and they have like millions of followers. It's it's a bit bizarre I find it a little bit what's, hard what's to... the maximum length of a TikTok because I've been thinking about doing like video content for the, the recipes uh, one minute one minute one minute yeah mm. um, you could do it how... yeah I could teach I, I, okay I'm going to challenge myself teach someone how to make a biryani in a minute um, there's a yeah. woman I think her name's Shireen something can't remember her second name but she's a chef on TikTok and she does Ooh. she does one minute recipes she's quite brilliant um what is her name? The uh, only other one that I love on TikTok is the guy that does um, Moira Rose from Shits Creek. I mean, he's got her voice down to a T. He gets the wigs out. He just picks a th- something in his house that remotely looks. And then he just has a conversation as if he's talking to you, as if he's Moira. And it is, I live for it. <laughs> This is the this is the creativity that I am obsessed with. He is a performer. You can tell. Well. You can the the level is this is it the level of performance. Yeah, he's an actor. A lot of a lot of actors have taken to TikTok to make content. Um, Kay, it's cooking with Shireen on Instagram, and I think if you find her on Instagram, you'll find her on TikTok. Oh yes, I suppose I should plug. I'm on Instagram at Currying Flavor Books, which has a lot of recipe content. If people want to have a look at that. Perfect, perfect pitch. It was perfect. It was seamless. It was seamless. It was seamless. Twice in one episode. (laughs) It's like you've done this before. Um, See the the publishing, the 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 sort of new self publishing um, adventure. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that and what your hopes and dreams are for it? Like, that's exciting. Um, Yeah, it's it's been it's been an awful lot to learn. Like, I've I've never written a book. I've never researched a book before. I've never had to market a book. I've never had to publish anything or self-publish anything. Uh, and it's been it's been interesting because I'm I'm essentially a one-woman band. I've made the website, designed the logo, I've done like everything basically. Um, so the the self-publishing has been really interesting because traditionally cookbooks, publishing cookbooks are really expensive because you have to like do multiple versions of a recipe and test it and then you need to have taste testers and then you also need to have people to replicate those recipes and see if it, it works in their kitchen and interestingly enough all of that has managed to be done through the group like I have people that cook the recipes every week and give reviews about what they liked and, and so it's kind of been done through that and also the other thing that makes them really expensive to produce is uh, paying for a home economist as well, who can just sort of look at your recipes and, and see if there's anything that, that might not work or anything that needs shifting about. Uh, my mum's a home economist, so I do multiple versions of different recipes and then I send the recipe to her and just say, if there's anything that you think, you know, I need to cook that a bit longer or change the order of things, let me know. And the other aspect that makes it difficult is food photography and food styling, which is its own field. And I'm by no means a a photographer or a a food stylist, but um, every single picture in the book is taken by me in my own kitchen. Um, (laughs) So I think think that's kind of something that appeals to people as well, that it's just this like memento of like, Here's what I did in lockdown. Every single thing I made myself, I made in my kitchen and I took pictures of it and I researched it and I wrote about it. There's also uh, family recipes as well. So it's this kind of odd, like part memento to the weird time, part like autobiography and then part like introduction to cooking and then part overview of South Asian food. Um, so there, there are some European Western recipes in there as well, but it's, it's also called the mostly Indian batch cookbook because I wanted to make it very clear, like 
lot of what we consider to be Indian food also contains Pakistani recipes, also contains Kashmiri recipes, Bengali recipes, um, Nepalese recipes. So I wanted to kind of make it really clear like that there's no really, there's not really a such a thing as like quintessentially Indian. And even if there was, there's been British influence and Portuguese influence. And that's like really important for me to, to get that as well. Uh, so that's, yeah. So cookbooks are normally like really, really, really expensive to, to publish, but I, like even if I wanted to and I had a giant advance, I couldn't use it on getting a studio or getting a photographer or anything else. So it's just kind of been doing it myself. And then I made the decision to like self-publish because there are a lot of uh, book retailers that are kind of pulling back from publishing because you know, it takes like a team of people to, to print stuff and, and everything else. Uh, less people are commissioning, as, as we all know, across multiple, multiple fields. And it also allowed for me to have the most amount of control over the content and also to get it out as quickly as possible. So, but it's been a lot of learning how to like format a book, which is like its own thing, and then like designing a book cover as well. So this, it's been a big learning curve for me. And I'm quite proud of that. Like there's every, I've done everything myself, which I think is a, sort of unique position to be in as well yeah. uh, in terms of the future I've already started the next one uh, which is the lean and green Indian because mm -hmm. it turns out like eating a lot of like restaurant style Indian food I have put on quite a bit of weight so I was like okay I can I can market this I can use this um, so the next book is is all vegan mostly gluten-free and low-fat Indian food because uh, there's a lot of uh, kind of what we get in restaurants tends to be very North Indian and very creamy but as I've said you know, there's a giant area there and lots of different styles of cooking and a lot of it is vegan and very healthy so I want to get into that market as well yes to be Excellent. cynical for a second but yeah. um, and then uh, I'd ideally like to write kind of three or four I think I think there's a lot of I've also been thinking about doing one that would be like around India and all the different states and cook something that's kind of like the quintessential dish from from each state because each state is is very 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 different mm -hmm. um, so yeah no I at the moment this is my thing and I'm gonna do it I believe like whatever you're doing in life do it well um, yeah you know grab the bull by the horns though you wouldn't do that because cows are so good in my country <laughs> Just have a just have a quiet chat with the cow about your destiny. Like don't whisper. Don't, yeah, like feed him yeah, some sweets. You know. yeah. Whisper lovingly in its ear. Yeah, seek some advice. Go and go and ask for ask for wisdom. <laughs> um, Terrible. And uh, and I don't know if we've touched on this already. So some of our listeners might not know that um, you also are a playwright. And oh yeah! Like, oh, sorry, <laughs> I, I forgot about that. Yeah, um, that in your past life, and then I was going to go. Um, <laughs> yeah, in my past life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, pre-COVID, I think I did mention that we we were in the pub and we were talking about working in the arts in Scotland. So yeah, no, I I I, I was not that it matters now. <laughs> um, but no, I I was a playwright. I, I still am, I guess. Uh, just currently doing cookbooks. I think once a playwright, always a playwright. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, I, I, I've had uh, a play on at the Play Pine of Pint uh, or more in Glasgow, which was, which was really cool. And then I've also done a bit of performance art as well, because I, I realized I, it's difficult because you, when you're a writer of color, it's difficult to kind of balance. You want to be true to yourself, but you also don't want to pigeonhole yourself. And it's very difficult to, to do that. So my, my commission at, at the Arlemore was Selkie. It's based on the Scottish mythology. And that was like a very clear decision for me. I was like, I'm going to write the most Scottish play that ever Scottish about in Scotland. You know, <laughs> it was a very definite decision for me. And then as the kind of time went on, I ended up working as a, a writer in residence at a community centre for ethnic minority women, particularly South Asian women, particularly. Seat women and I designed classes there and designed creative writing classes and writing for performance classes and it got me kind of 
thinking more about my own identity my cultural identity has always been hugely important to me but it was not something that I addressed in my playwriting work and it got me to kind of think really reflectively on, on why that was and so then I I sort of came across it was Marvin Carlson who does this great description of performance art and he describes it as it's the performer embodying their own work and I thought do you know what if I'm going to write about being mixed Scottish Indian oh my body's that I might as well use that that was kind of the, the logic and uh, so I did that and then I, I've also always done sort of community work. I think in Scotland, when you work in the arts, you, you kind of have to be a bit of a jack of all trades. I think you have to be really, oh, yeah. uh, really flexible and like, take on lots of different hats. <laughs> so I've also done bits of producing and I've also done quite a lot of, of academic work in the last couple of years has been um, more kind of academic based, theatre studies based. But as with all things, that's kind of got a big giant pause button on it at the moment. Um, but no, I, I received, a, I was on the New Year's Honours list this year. Um, I received a BEM for uh, services to the arts and the Asian community in Scotland, which was, oh, which was really nice. So that was a kind of combination of the, of the playwriting work, the artistic output, the uh, performance art, and also the community work and also the, the academic research as well. So that was really nice. That's amazing. And then they cancelled the garden party. But <laughs> Best fucking part. I want my cucumber sandwich. I worked hard for this. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to rock up in my best salwar and, and eat a cucumber sandwich. Like, um, come so, on, uh, where's the cucumber sandwiches, babes? Hey, come on. What so you take your 94 and in the high risk category? Get out. Shake some hands. <laughs> oh, don't do that. Boris did that. Didn't work out. Yeah. It's just yeah. Um, so yeah, but for the for the most part, the last kind of two years, I've been I've been working on this like academic research project that's about how to create intercultural theatre for people of multiple cultural heritage. Um, and I, I kind of tend to use that term in my research because I think there's a a bit of a conflation between being mixed race and being a person of multiple cultural heritage. And they're, they're not the same thing and they're kind of used like they're the same thing. And that was part of my research because as we become a more globalized society, as we become a more multicultural society, these, these things are literally, they're not black or white. And I, you know, you can be adopted into a completely different cultural family than your own racial identity that makes you a person of multiple cultural her heritage, I would say. Um, if you have a step-parent that is of a different cultural heritage than yourself, but you have been raised with the food, the culture, the language, the clothing, I would say that affects your cultural identity as well. And the United States was a bit ahead of us because they have this term, uh, third culture kids, which is for people who have been brought up in a country that is not their parents' own identity. And again, multiple cultural influences. So my research was instead of taking into cultural theater, which normally is like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we did some like, I don't know, Japanese stuff? Like, cool, let's see how it works. It tends to be quite arbitrary. And it's just a kind of philosophy of bringing together different forms. Uh, some of it is in a kind of decolonizing stage way about, you know, art forms are equal. And some of it is about trying to find, um, you know, common threads between different cultural influences, whereas mine was trying to find a model of, okay, no, people who are embodied, people of multiple cultural heritage, intercultural bodies exist in society. So how do we make creative artistic work to reflect that? Um, but at the, a lot of that was based with um, working with my a group of research participants who were all of multiple South Asian heritage and living in Scotland and the work the way I want to do it involves working with them a lot, workshop and a piece, uh, because it's, you want to write about your own experience, but you also don't want to essentialize because everyone has a slightly different experience. So it was about trying to find a, a balance between that and this relationship between autobiography and biography, and also address that in South Asian cultures, there is a lot more emphasis on the group identity uh, than the individual identity. So it was about trying to find a way of doing that. And also my like general frustration with British Asian theatre. So like, when I when I started my research, one of the first things I got told was like, oh, 
So it's situate the work in the British Museum. Like, away you go. I was kind of like, how? Like, like, but like, doesn't really reflect my work. I'm a, I'm a performance artist, shouldn't I? Like, I've done playwriting, of course, but this work has been performance art. It was based on a, a show I did called Pure Raj, which was about. <laughs> which I'm still ridiculously proud of that. There are many puns. <laughs> there are many, many, many puns, and that was sort of looking at my own sort of history of, of being born here and spending my Christmases here with my, you know, Indian family. So as far as I was concerned, Christmas meant like kebabs in Bollywood, of course. And uh, I like, grew up in Bond and Bollywood being equal cultural influences. There was no hierarchy between them and, and my work tries to reflect that. And sort of moving here at the age of uh, 11, 12, and also kind of charting that with my, my grandfather's experience with partition and of having to live here and his cultural identity and also the history of the British in India. Um, so for me, my work didn't necessarily fit into British Asian canon because it tends to be very British in its writing. And like that, that's, there's good reason for that. It's, you know, we belong on stage as much as you. We can write the same things as you, which I think is amazing. But why not bring in our own cultural influences and say our cultural influences are just as valid as anything in the West. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the ethos of my, of my research. And another thing, oh God, the, the Scottish people will love this. There's one of their books on British Asian theatre and it says, um, so we know that London has unrivaled talent. It's just like, oh, that's a, it's a bold statement. I mean, unrivaled wealth, unrivaled opportunities, sure, you know, but you can't just come out with that. Jesus, yeah. Jeffrey. You know, and um, I don't know if it was Jeffrey, but it probably was, let's be honest. Well, and um, and it, so the next bit was, so we've, we've expanded our scope. So now we're not just talking about London. We're also talking about Liverpool and Birmingham and Luton and Newcastle. And that's it. And I'm reading that as like a Scottish mixed person. I'm like, I, I don't fit in here. Like, it's like <laughs> you're just ignoring that there's like several countries in the UK. So it's like the two things. It's like British is four different countries. At least address the work that's being done in four different countries. And Asian is way too broad. Like Asia is most of the world, you know? It's, po <laughs> it's, like, it's Poland to Japan, you know? It's like... It's too broad. They're, both of these things are too broad. Uh, so oh, it's kind of fight, so it's kind of fighting against that label and trying to find my my own artwork. Uh, so it's been an interesting time as well to take a pause because we're also going through a lot of things in society about whose voices that we listen to and whose voices that we prioritize, you know, in society, in the arts, and also in academia. Uh, there was a, a letter that was published actually two weeks ago. And it's called, uh, I mean, they're not messing around, it's called White Colleague Listen. And I think anybody who's interested in diversity and decolonizing in the difference between the two, I think it's absolutely worthwhile reading. And it's a letter written by global majority scholars uh, addressing the kind of institutional and systemic racism that does still exist mm. in, in academia and within theater studies. And it's not to say it's like individual people are behaving badly, Though there's a lot of that, like the latter half of the letter is like every single microaggression that people have faced. Um, but it's it's also talking about the, uh, you know, the why do in, in theatre studies we would never say, well, performance art is better than playwriting or dance is better than um, verbatim theatre. Like it's it's it would be a stupid statement to make because they're doing different things, they have different roles, but it falls under the banner of performance. But still, we prioritize Eurocentric Western performance art forms, performance art forms above others. You know, the, the Natya Shastra, uh, which is the South Asian book on, on dance and dramaturgy, to me, should be held in exactly the same regard as Aristotle's poetics, but it isn't. And instead, it falls under kind of South Asian studies. And I think we should be, as, as a society, we should be asking these questions. Why is classics only Greek and Roman civilization? Why can't it also be the other civilizations that yeah. existed in South Asia and, and South America and everything else if we're talking about classics? 
So whether we mean to or not, we are prioritizing a certain viewpoint of the world. And especially in, in arts, in, in theater, there's really no excuse for that. And I think it has a, a knock-on effect on, on the personal thing. I had a, a situation, even if, I mean, it, it's funny. It's not funny, but we'll call it funny because we'll keep it lighthearted. But I, uh, I got this email through and it was- Oh no, we don't need to keep it lighthearted. <laughs> Let's keep it lighthearted. I don't, I don't want to be all like angry and like, ah. Oh. Um, so um, I got this email and it was talking about like staff training. And it was like, if you've got any things to add to this, you know, please, please add to it. Um, so yeah, sorry, I just want to finish off. So please do look up that letter if you're if you're. Oh, sorry, just to, that that letter is um, dear white, white colleague. White, oh, white colleague, white. listen! Exclamation mark. Um, it was shared by Tapra on Twitter, which is the Theatre and Performance Research Network. Um, it was shared on their on their Twitter. We will find that and link it in the please uh, do please episode. do. I, I think. Uh, I think your, your listeners are very much interested in arts and how that functions in society. And it's just a yeah. kind of taking that, that angle to it, which I think should be looked up. But I would say that. Um, but I got this email through and it was like, staff training, you know, have you got anything to add? And I looked through it and I just thought, there's still this attitude that if you, there's this assumption that you are a white middle-class man in, in absolutely everything, which I think is wrong because then there's, a, there's this attitude that you, are a kind of vessel that needs to be filled up with knowledge and actually it's the opposite like we we come with our own experiences we come with our own backgrounds and so I was looking through and there was like nothing about you know students from different class backgrounds students with disabilities students with caring responsibilities it was just nothing at all in this whole thing about this is how to approach your students as staff and I thought that's that's mental right so I wrote this this very, very excruciatingly polite, because God forbid I come across as uppity or anything. So I wrote this you know, really, really nice email. It's just like, you know, I think it would be really good to address students from different income backgrounds, students from different cultural backgrounds as well, because that will inform people's research, especially if their research involves their own background, whatever that may be. And I got this email back that said, um, yeah, we do address nationality, um, you might want to have a think about our Scottish students because um, our Scottish students actually face a lot of discrimination because of the way that they speak when they're at academic conferences and the way that they sound and they sometimes feel out of place uh, in academic conferences. And I just thought, oh, wow, wow, this would have been different if it was a phone call. Um, but she's just seen my name and then just made an assumption. So again, I sent this like really, really polite letter back about yeah, yeah, I know you address nationality. I, I said culture. And, I, and funnily enough, I do know what it's like to have a Scottish accent. Yes, <laughs> guess you hadn't thought of that. Okay, I'll go back to my hovel, write about British Asian theatre, Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah, it's been an interesting uh, time period. I, I can see both of you just looking absolutely shocked as well. <laughs> This is always, we always need to do a kind of like visual description at these moments because the three of us are aghast, head in hands, absolutely like shaking our head. Like I, f I felt like a wee um, like dashboard, like bobblehead this whole time, just nodding along and now I'm shaking and I'm mad. It's what a fucking joke. Yeah, so it's been, it's been interesting to sort of like, come and say like no no my research is about this experience it's about being Scottish it's about being Asian it's about being mixed all of these things inform our research I'm not the only one here's my research participants it's, it's, I'm not making it up you know I cannot stress this enough um and to just be like continuously told that your own experience isn't relevant or that it isn't referenced enough and then you just end up like with a snake eating its own tail it's like well it's not referenced enough because you didn't let us up in universities until pretty recently like that's why there's not the wealth <laughs> of knowledge that exists here yeah um and even things like uh, which in this letter is addressed as well far more eloquently than i'm doing here but you know I, I write about south asian dance so a lot of the scholars that i would use the references i would use were from the global south because they're the people that are teaching PhDs in Kathak so that seemed the most relevant ones to use <laughs> and it was just like oh you know just think just think about the references that you're using just think about and it's just this it's cloaked in this um global south people of the global majority are not good enough um and that's kind of difficult to, to fight up against 
So it's been an interesting time to sort of actually take a step back because the research as I see it couldn't practically happen. Mm. And then it's like walking out of a building and then you just sort of start to see it go on fire a bit. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> see, going to see how this turns out. Like, <laughs> which in reality, probably nothing will happen. There'll be a tweet about solidarity and then everyone will move on. But still, it's interesting. You could just put your fire extinguisher like back in your handbag, like leaving. Sorry, she needs to read uh, the article. White colleague, listen, pretty fucking quickly. (laughs) Um, I can't believe you managed to like maintain politeness and not just like reply with a link to that. I just. This this happened before. This happened before. Um, but no, no, because that's actually that's like that's like a, a, an okay one in the in the, the in realm the, of stuff that I've had. This has been like a, an okay like one. I would have loved it if you sent her a video clip. What are oh. you? I just I just thought it was just this assumption that she's yeah. she's just seen the name sing and then gone. You know, um, I think another one I had was. Uh, because uh, when I was still doing community work, um, I, was, I was speaking to a woman about, about doing community work. I said, you know, you've got to be really aware, and this applies to anybody, anybody doing any kind of community work as an artist. It's, um, you know, you are coming from it at a, as a place of privilege, like honestly, whoever you are, because the fact that you were there facilitating as an expert, there is a power dynamic there. Whoever you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're working with. And so we were just kind of talking about that, that dynamic. And, and um, I was saying, you know, because I, I work with South Asian women predominantly, because that's what I'm interested in. That's what the BEM was for and stuff. Um, but I am always very aware of my own privilege with my education, with my you know, skin color, with my caste, you know, being married, all of these different things uh, affect the way that I'm viewed. And I need to be really aware of that and not be defensive about it. And if someone, you know, doesn't want to take me seriously or says, you know, you don't speak from my experience, I don't, I'm willing to listen. And they're, they're, my colleague's response was like, oh, I just don't see how any of that's relevant. I was like, well, that's kind of part of the problem, um, uh, to be honest. Uh, so there's definitely issues within, and I'm not, I'm not saying I, like, you know, everyone's bad or anything, or like people mean to cause harm, because I genuinely don't think people do. I just think it's a byproduct of when you go through an education system that doesn't prioritize uh, people of color, people of the global majority, which is the new one, which I really like, because it's just kind of positioning it again, you know, mm. um, and it doesn't prioritize those voices, it doesn't prioritize those experiences, and then you spend, you can spend your whole artistic life and work and never have to interact with another uh, person of the global majority. And I just think yeah. that that does have an effect on people's viewpoints. But I don't think people mean badly. I just I just think people aren't aware. Mm. So. <laughs> <laughs> how do, I don't know. How do we segue from institutional racism? Like, I don't know. Like, um, way to segue from the... I think we're being extraordinarily kind, actually, by saying that, like, I think, um, I think there are lots of, arseholes who who you know who don't actually care one way or the other and um yeah it is systemic and it is ingrained and um and I think uh, yeah I agree with Elaine I think you are being really kind and I think it's one of those things I always like we have to we have to make room for people to to fuck up and be ignorant and then learn and we have to make room for um us all to evolve um but I think there are certain contexts in which ignorance is a little bit less forgivable the academic context for example it's just like really yeah really, really? really? <laughs> um, I think that's, that's what happens when you have an, an entire institution um I mean, for yeah. most, of, most of my academic career I've been the only person of color studying or teaching so um that's what happens when you have an entire institution where everybody just has these little bits of bias and these little things that they haven't had to be confronted with. Yeah. And, and again, you, that I say that across the board. I say that you, you can apply that. I'm talking specifically about race and cultural identity and everything, but you can apply that to disability. You can apply that to class. You can apply that to sexuality. Like if you haven't had to be confronted with your own otherness, mm-hmm. then 
you're going to see the world as, as being quite quite flat and plain and everything. But I'm also a huge believer in, in cultural exchange, which is why my research is about you know multiple cultural identity. And I think as these questions are going to become more relevant as time goes on. I, I mean, I, I share recipes that are family recipes. Like I'm a huge, huge believer in, in having that exchange and having that conversation as well. Yeah. Which is why I try and be kind. I think it's always good to be kind it is always good to be kind and and eat food and share ideas and discussion absolutely and be nasty and And that's a perfect segue into my next question oh the final question the The final question um so kate i don't know if you know why we're called persistent and nasty i don't think i do no lou i'm gonna hand it to you it's, I'm going to keep it pretty concise. It's a it's a nod to both uh, to two cultural moments. Elizabeth Warren, nevertheless, she persisted, and the whole nasty woman, Hillary yeah. Clinton, all of that. So it's a rec- it's, it's a reclamation of words that were used uh, to to downgrade, to denigrate women um, when they were when they were just fighting for what they believed in. Um, and it, yeah, so it's a, it's about a reclamation of words. Yeah, excellent. So with that, what does persistent and nasty mean to you when you hear that phrase? What does it make you feel? Any answer is correct. Um, I'm I'm allowed to swear, aren't I? It makes me feel like like there is such power in not giving a fuck. Uh, That's kind of what I think it it means to me. There's just an immense amount of power to just go, actually, no, I'm right. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love that. That's yeah, that's it for me. It's concise, but I think it gets a point as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Why Um, use big why use big word when little word will do? Not when fuck (laughs) is given. Not as my answer. (laughs) Fresh (laughs) out. Fresh out of fuck. Hey, thank Um, you so much. What a We covered a lot of ground. We did cover a lot of ground. We did. And yeah, it was a a roller coaster of an hour. It was it was wonderful. It was funny. It was insightful. It's made me a bit hungry. I mean, I'm I am actually starving. And the whole time you were thinking, I was like, how can I convince Steve that we're having takeout tonight and we're driving to the West End? (laughs) I've I've had my chicken marinating since (gasps) so that should be. So is it another biryani or is it, what is it? I make more than biryani. I just seem to have mentioned biryani about 25 (laughs) times. I think, I I think, because this is my life. I actually got into an argument with a rice company online because I disagreed with how they make their biryani. This is, this is my life now. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Valuable use of everybody's time. I don't know why they put tomatoes in it. You don't put tomatoes in it. It's red. Um, The rice company shall remain unnamed because. Have they blocked you? They put tomatoes in. Maybe. Um, tomatoes in their biryani. You don't put tomatoes in. No. 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 Uh, thank you. No. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, I'm making I'm making butter chicken tonight. Oh, and, I, and I'm also making my own naan. Oh, oh, stop, stop it. Stop what it. What a woman. So, <laughs> now, and this is now controversial. Some people did sourdough, but I was over here, like, yeah. on another level. Oh, a whole other level is it stuffed with cheese oh now you're talking i hadn't actually thought of doing that yeah i think i'm, like, oh, no, I'm, no, I'm starving right okay <laughs> so now because we're all so hungry for curry yeah. and when does your cookbook come out well, uh, we've the... done that but we'll all right okay yeah, we okay. can do it again. It's the 25th of september okay and for me tonight is there anywhere yeah. you'd recommend to get a carryout? Have we done this already? Have no, I already missed this? No. Where's oh. the best? Where's the best like Indian takeaway or best place to get a curry? All oh, of the above. I don't want to upset my community. Um, <laughs> we can cut this we whole can bit. Pause it. I also we can just pause it and like just on the download. On the download, yeah. I'll just um, cut it out. Okay, and I'm gonna segue there and say I I would really encourage people to try and learn how to to make takeaway stuff from home. Because it's it's a lot easier yeah. than you think. Mm-hmm. Here, 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 here to it. Right. It was lovely to spend an afternoon with 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 you, you guys, especially, but just with people was also very. <laughs> 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 Gonna so be honest. Yeah. 
Not just your husband. No, I, I may have not seen him in a couple of days. I'm sure he's fine. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Do we, need, do we need to check in on your husband now? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I think I should check on him. He's like had a work deadline or something. I don't know. I'm not paying attention. I'm going to Is anybody <laughs> paying attention now? We're six months in. Who knows what they're saying? Who cares? <laughs> Husbands, oh, wives, partners, whatever. Stop talking. Yeah, or or everyone, you know, big love to the polyamorous people. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Those, those, those lucky enough to be in a thruple. Oh, God. <laughs> or a muple. A muple. <laughs> that sounds like a Scots word. What's that? A muple. <laughs> oh, God, we're going to have to stop. Right, okay. Right. At some right. point, yeah. <laughs> we need to do our little, uh, little go, go, Misha, go. Lovely listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Kay. You have been wonderful. And until next time, stay Stay nasty. nasty.